Awesome, Father. We do thank you for the privilege we have to read your word so openly. Lord, we pray that you help Suze to read, read the passage well this morning. And we pray that you be with Aiden as he seeks to reveal what you have said in those words. And we pray this in your mighty and glorious name. Amen. Amen. So today we continue reading and learning from the Sermon on the Mount. So please turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, please. Matthew chapter 7 beginning at verse 13 Enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it Watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for the privilege for allowing me to come and open up God's word with you today. Um, it, it really is an honor to be with you. Uh, please pray with me before we begin. 
Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. One of these days, my hometown is just going to be washed into the sea. I mean, it's going to be wiped off the map. It'll be consumed by a deluge from the sea. I mean, this isn't an irrational kind of strange fear that I have that my, my home's going to be flooded. It's not an unfounded fear. It could actually happen. You see, I, I grew up in a small town in northwest Alaska, and you have this great map here. Um, but it's right up there where Russia and, and North America almost touch. So I live right on the tip of that part in North America. It's where I was raised. And this community sits precariously on the edge of the Bering Sea. And the storms come and rage through that short passage. Now the town was thrown together haphazardly. When it was built, it was made up of shanty homes and lean-to buildings, each kind of thrown together with scrap iron and old plywood. And it was all built with little thought to the dangers of the fearsome ocean that could one day, in fact, and likely will, wipe it out in an instant, consumed by the raging, boiling Arctic Ocean. But see, not only are the buildings poorly built, the entire community was built on a foundation of just shifting, unstable pebbles and sand, not solid rock, no firm foundation of stone, just sands, ever-shifting sands that are shaken by the sea. So when I was growing up every year, when the fall weather would begin to transition to the coming winter, the eyes of everyone in town would look to the sky. And we would collectively kind of keep watch as the storm clouds would gather and we would monitor the seas. And we would all watch for the signs of the inevitable coming storms. They came every year. And there was this communal sense of fear and anxiety and even anticipation as we thought to ourselves, is this the year? Is this the year that it's finally going to happen? The year when the, the big one hits and washes our little town away with swift destruction? Is this the year that the rain will fall and the seas will rise and the floods will come and the winds will blow and everything that we own, everything that we've worked for, our families, our friends, <coughs> even our histories, all built on the unstable foundation of shifting sands will finally fall and great will be their fall. Is this the year that finally destroys us completely and will be no more? I mean, what would possess a community to do this? What would, what would possess a, a people to build an entire community on a foundation, an unstable foundation of sand? What a foolish thing to do. I mean, what a risky thing to do. What a dangerous thing to do. In this morning's gospel lesson, 
we read the final words of the famous Sermon on the Mountain. I understand you've been working through this discourse and, and looking at Matthew's Gospel more widely. And now we see the Sermon on the Mount reaching kind of a climactic end. And here at the end of the sermon, we find that there is something far more foolish, far more dangerous, far riskier than just building a town on the sand. It would appear that an entire people, an entire society even, and individual human beings like you or like me can build their entire lives on an infirm foundation. We can choose to build our lives on sand rather than solid rock. Now, Jesus has been preaching this sermon, and it began with words of blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. But now it ends with a stark warning. In some way, something that feels almost like a curse for all those who have ears to hear. Jesus warns his original hearers, and, and he warns us here today, when you fail to do the will of the Father, when you fail to put my words and all that I have taught in this sermon into action, you are risking far more than your town, far more than your house or your property or your family, the possessions you hold most dear. When you fail to do the Father's will, when you fail to put the words and commands of our Lord as explained in this sermon into action in, in our lives and in the world, we risk far more than our possessions. We risk our very souls. And that indeed is a very foolish and dangerous thing to do. Now when we read this passage, we should remember that Jesus is kind of giving us a look behind the curtain here at the end. He's giving us a peek into the throne room of the final eschatological judgment. That's a good seminary word, right? <laughs> He's showing us what could occur, what will occur, on the last day. Now, the New Testament talks about this event in a number of different ways. It's the day when our Lord will judge between the living and the dead, the day when the wheat will be separated from the chaff, the day when the sheep and the goats will each find their separate final homes, the separation of the righteous from the unrighteous, the redeemed from the, from the lost. Now, and in this glimpse behind the curtain, what we see might surprise us. What seems to be the dividing line between the wheat and the chaff, between the sheep and the goats, between the righteous and the unrighteous? Well, the first thing we observe might make us a little nervous. I know it makes me a little nervous. We find that many will come to the Lord God in that day and call out to him, Lord, Lord. But instead of these people being welcomed into the kingdom of God with open arms, they're turned away. They're cast out from the Lord's presence. And while they claim to, to know our God, to have done great deeds in his name, driving out demons and evil spirits, prophesying to the people and to the world, while they claim to be his, what becomes clear as the, the Lord Jesus does not know them. And in the end, that's really all that matters. Their gifts, their abilities, the things that they had accomplished, 
their prophecies, their exorcisms, their mighty acts of valor, their miracles, none of that matters at the last day. Why? Because they failed to know and be known by our Lord. They failed to do the will of the Father, and as a result, they're cast out from his presence. Now, let's be honest here. This should be a really terrifying passage. It should make us feel a little uncomfortable. I mean, who among us, after a life of driving out demons, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, announcing the coming of his kingdom, would not confidently march up to the pearly gates and expect to be welcomed with opened arms? And yet, if we take Jesus' words at face value, it would appear that it is possible that a person could find themselves in this situation in which all of their best acts do not matter. So if this is true, if the words that Jesus are saying are true, what are we to do? What is Jesus getting at here? Well, he says we're called by Jesus to do what matters. And it says quite simply that that is the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? That we be a people who are shaped by the kingdom as he has explained it in the, in the sermon, and the kingdom that Jesus is bringing into being in his own person. And thankfully, we're to be a people who are shaped by the prayer that's found right in the middle of the sermon. The prayer our Lord has taught us, praying daily, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our da- this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, our sins, as we have forgiven our debtors, those who have sinned against us. That we be a people not led into temptation, but a people delivered from evil, delivered by our Lord. That we be a people who recognize our need for God's grace, made present in the one who brings the kingdom, who preaches the sermon, and who shows us the way. The one who is the narrow gate, the healthy tree of life whose fruit we are invited to consume, to savor, to enjoy, to eat from and live. That we find our life in him alone, the one in whom the fullness of the Father's kingdom is made present, A kingdom whose values have been laid out in this Sermon on the Mountainside. Now it's in this context that Jesus' final parable of the two builders begins to make some sense. Here Jesus explains that those who have heard the words of his sermon, the words that explain the way of the kingdom, are like one of two builders. Those who hear the words he has preached And by following him and putting them into action are like a wise builder who builds upon the rock a firm and lasting foundation. While those who hear the words of the sermon and fail to put them into action, fail to live into the way of the kingdom of God, are like fools who build upon a foundation of sand that can just be washed away. And it is with those lives built on sand that we see these these images from the Old Testament of destruction, signs of God's judgment, wind and rain, 
and floods, destruction and utter desolation. What separates the wise from the foolish in this little story? Who are the wise? Well, thankfully, we have this passage, but we also have the larger context of Matthew's gospel and the wider New Testament story. And we see that the wise aren't the ones who always get it right. They're not the smartest or the perfect or the well put together. In the story of Jesus, we see that the wise are those who end up being outcasts and sinners. Who are the wise? They're people like Peter, who denies Jesus at his moment of greatest need. They're people like Thomas, who struggles with his faith. They're people like James and John, who who can find themselves rash and hot-headed, wanting to call down judgment on others. In the context of the New Testament, the wise, those who build upon Jesus, are tax collectors, and they're prostitutes. They're drunkards and they're gluttons. They're the sinners. But they're people who, in the midst of their failures, have received the life that God brings into the world through Christ. And by receiving that life, have been enabled to ever so slowly live into the teaching of this sermon. The wise are those who, in spite of the complexities of life, have found their life in Christ, and they have built on the solid rock that he is. When we read the Sermon on the Mount with its list of laws and commands and instructions and challenges, we might be tempted to despair. We might be tempted to read the words that say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and only recognize our failures our inability to attain perfection. We see our sins, and and they are and likely will be manifold and different for each one of us. Reading the Sermon on the Mount can cut you straight to the heart. For not only do we find ourselves killing one another, we get angry with each other. Not only do we at times commit perjury, but we'll swear whenever we please. Not only in our own ways and in our own Um, expressions commit overt sexual sins, but we struggle with lust in our heart. We steal from one another in so many ways, and we ignore the poor man who is left without a home. We instinctively strike back when we are struck, and we find it far more easy to turn to violence than to turn the other cheek. We are a people who is prideful, sinful, and fallen. We can read this sermon which lays out the values of the kingdom and find only our failures and condemnation that is poured upon us. Is this what God intends? It shows us our sin, it lays it bare, but thanks be to God, the sermon with all the values that are laid out for the kingdom drive us to Christ. They drive us to the one in whom we find forgiveness, restoration, and true, lasting life. So we're reminded that we must not build our life on our own accomplishments, 
on our own sense of righteousness, but on Christ alone. On Christ, the song says, the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Today, Jesus says to us again, by my grace and through the aid of my spirit, build your life on the solid rock of me. Build your rock on the solid foundation of the promise of the spirit that I leave you. And in every high and stormy gale, and a world where darkness veils the loveliness of God's goodness and causes us to experience our own sense of grief and hardship, Christ calls us to stand on the solid rock of his love for us. For in a world of death, brokenness, and sin, Jesus is and will always remain the way, the truth, and the life, and the rock on whom we are called to build our lives. Jesus Christ says to us that through my death and resurrection, we will truly live, and in the last day, be welcomed into God's kingdom. This is the will of the Father for your life, for my life, and for the world. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but we wholly lean on Jesus' name. And as we lean on him and learn to lean on him ever better, as we learn to live into the ways of the kingdom that are outlined in this sermon, as we believe on Christ for our salvation and our life, we have nothing to fear. We find that the Lord's closing warning, that we be obedient to the words of this sermon, that we build our lives on a solid rock, is not actually a curse at all. It's a blessing. It's an invitation that we walk in his ways, that we live in, in and through his life, and that one day, when he returns in glory, when he judges the living and the dead, we will be found in him. And so with Christians down through the ages, we keep our eyes on the horizon. We watch for the signs of his return, and we wonder, in and out of season, is this the day, is this the month, is this the year that he will finally come back to us? Is this the season that our Lord will make his triumphal return to his creation? And we pray earnestly, come Lord Jesus, but we do it without fear of complete destruction, fear that we'll be wiped off the map into the sea, fear that our failures will separate us from the love of God because our lives are not founded on the unstable foundation of sin and pride and rebellion and self-righteousness, but are solidly rooted in our Lord Jesus Christ, built on the solid rock of his teaching, of his grace, of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming in glory. And when he shall come with that trumpet sound, we will then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, by his grace and by his mercy, 
we will be faultless to stand before the throne. So let us keep our eyes on the horizon, believing that no storm awaits us except for the furious storm of God's love made present through our Lord and lavished on us in Christ. Please pray with me. <coughs> Almighty Father, beginning and end of all we are and the hope to which we cling, it is to you alone we bring our sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Jesus Christ, word of God, become flesh, in whose steps we now follow and tread. It is to your feet that we humbly bow in service. Holy Spirit, creating breath and life, giving it to us all, a living presence within our heart. It is in your power that we can do all things and live into your kingdom. Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one, one in three. Be the unity between our lives, the light by which we see, and the rock upon which we walk, build our lives today and all days. Amen. We're coming into a time of confession now.